G'day and welcome back to the first podcast of the Talking Leadership TV podcast series for February 2023. I'd like to introduce you to my guest, Dr. Wade Asmi. He is the founder of the Ferros Institute. He is the CEO and co-founder ICG Asia, Global Practice Leader Strategic Leadership. He is a lecturer at UWS, NUS and Curtin Universities. He is also a fellow of the Singapore University of Social Sciences. He has 23 years in senior executive positions, 20 years in executive and leadership development. He authored the first executive coaching diploma, ASQA, in 2014 and has achieved a number of academic milestones, including a doctorate of strategic leadership, masters in both business administration and coaching psychology, diplomas in marketing and management, and a bachelor of science in engineering. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'll hand over to Wade where we start talking about the topic area of lifelong learning. Wade, thanks for joining me today, mate. Um, Today we're talking about lifelong learning and one of the key reasons I asked you to do this, um, well, two reasons is we've had a lot of discussions around what does leadership mean for both of us and um, I'd like to acknowledge at the start of this conversation and, and congratulate you for achieving what is a massive achievement and getting your doctorate uh, from the University of Southern Queensland. So um, congratulations on that. I know, I know the slog that goes into, into an amount of time that you've spent doing that so well done. Um, Thanks, Eric. Yeah, no, of course, mate. Uh, before we get into the questions, though, just a little bit of scene setting before we get in. So in 2020, uh, the University of Melbourne posted the following on a blog titled Lifelong Learning is the New Order. And in part, Associate Professor of Economics Michael Coelho said the following, now people in many jobs are being asked to update on a very regular basis to keep up to date with what's going on in their field. In other words, lifelong learning, while not a new phenomenon, is becoming the norm. In addition to that, Aileen Kaplan in 2016 provided a definition citing multiple sources saying that lifelong learning is a phenomenon that includes all life processes from birth to death and all activities that aim to develop an individual's knowledge, skills and competencies. I would add capabilities there, but we can talk about that in a second. Um, and that it's been described as a process that includes rapid change through which individuals acquire competencies in differing areas during their lives. So that being the scene set, uh, Wade, what's your definition, if we can get one around lifelong learning for you? I think the term lifelong learning, which uh, I was introduced to the, the first time, actually around maybe year 2000, through uh, an article I picked from a university in Toronto, Canada. And it was my first time to read uh, the term lifelong uh, learning, but I should admit it resonated with me from day one. And I think it has to do uh, a lot to do with my personality and the way I was raised and my career and the fact that I do value knowledge in general. So it resonated with me, but by that time also I was on a turning a point in my career and it just served me well it just arrived at the right time for me uh, so my definition of it is straightforward you learn as you go and I think what I've defined later was the different means of learning and the different means of development that I can pursue to achieve my goals that's maybe the way I define it Eric 
Yeah, brilliant. And uh, again, our discussion before we we started having the conversation, Wade, was around why this particular topic. And again, to reiterate um, the evolution of, of Talking Leadership now to Talking Leadership TV is about um, me trying to pick out some of the themes that were brought up by uh, my guests uh, in the podcast process and lifelong learning in one form or another came up in a lot of the conversations and I, I didn't dig deeper at the time so I was still trying to get my understanding around leadership leadership process styles and all of, the, all of that great stuff that comes with someone's leadership pathway, what it means to be a lifelong learner. And so given that we're having a conversation about what your view of this is, can I ask you to start with what has your learning journey looked like beyond compulsory schooling, if you can? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. I think uh, I think lifelong learning uh, or the learning beyond schooling has... Uh, for me personally, started when I was a child, uh, even before schooling. Uh, my father was a teacher and he installed with me in me the love of knowledge and the love of learning because he was a teacher, of course. So he, when I was six years old, he uh, purchased in a, for me my first encyclopedia. So I had a whole encyclopedia at home at age of six. And that, I should admit, opened my eyes to the world and I started to love knowledge, start to love learning. Then of course went through schooling, but the interesting part started after schooling. Uh, I'm an engineer by, uh, by education. So I have my uh, bachelor degree in engineering. And uh, that was my beginning. Engineering of course, uh, formulate your thinking process. So you learn a, a blend of critical thinking and design thinking at the same time. You learn a blend of uh, finding the truth and the facts before you make a decision, but you also have a space for creativity and innovation. So that maybe was a platform for me uh, as learning. But the problem, of course, you get busy with life and family and the kids, and uh, the actual learning does not take hold of you, you know, in terms of allocating time because you're busy with life, you're busy with your work. And I was actually... Uh, working in, I started in Australia, so my start as an engineer started with Hewlett Packard here for a few years, and then I, the company moved me to management. So that was a transition in my career, from pure engineering into managing people. Uh, but I was in Australia, so I was still in the local environment with people I know, and then a few years later, I moved into global leadership, managing in the region out of Hong Kong for Hewlett Packard. So I moved from leadership into global leadership. And that was challenging when you move to executive positions and you start to see a lot of uh, situations that you are not familiar with. A lot of situations that you cannot only apply your engineering mindset to it. And I should admit, lifelong learning there came in the fact that uh, in HP, they were very conscious about the need for training. So you used to send me every quarter and maybe twice a year at least into, uh, you know, INSEAD, Harvard, Macquarie University in Sydney to attend courses. Uh, so all these developmental programs contributed to my lifelong learning. But most of it was, you sit in a course in a training when you come back with a binder and you put it on the shelf. And by the way, the, the library behind me has many of them still. And <laughs> after some time, maybe because of the pressures around you at work, 
you really do not get the chance to learn and reflect on your learning to be able to fine tune your approach to every day's problem. So that's challenging. And I stayed all my corporate career in that space, basically the company owning my development. So they will keep sending me to developmental programs and to leadership and management and uh, uh, to be able to deal with the changes happening around us in the environment. At that stage, really, it was company driven more than anything else. But this is also when I learned that this is not the best position in terms of who owns the development of the leader. Uh, because I could see this not only in myself, but also in my colleagues. When the company take ownership of it, there is uh, many gaps there that stays actually unresolved and unanswered. Uh, but more importantly, the alignment with the individual needs and values are missing. So uh, that was something I needed to address. And this is actually when I decided to change my career again. And that was maybe the fourth change to start my uh, coaching practice. And being, you know, I'm not a perfectionist. I believe in perfect enough concept. I needed really to ensure that I do this on proper basis. So I went back to university, did my master's in coaching psychology, and did my MBA in Australia at the same time, actually, the two degrees. And that was a quantum leap for me in terms of me aligning my learning with my own needs of what I want to achieve. And I should have met. It opened my eyes around, that happened around between 2000, 2004, 2005. It opened my eyes about what lifelong learning is all about. Uh, when you get at the age of 45 and you go back to uni and you start to study again after 20 years or more, uh, in, uh, in of field work, that was big, big challenge. But it was a quantum leap in terms of how it helped me to set myself for the future, to start my own executive coaching practice, uh, to build the practice not only in Australia but uh, in the re regional and global, and then to build myself, uh, you know, uh, to state which I you know, been all of us talk about. Maslow uh, pyramids of needs and actualization. This is maybe when the lifelong learning curve and the actualization curve cross each other, because I really felt we were. I was at the point when I felt the personal growth. I felt it happening. It was happening for me, and uh, that was a journey uh, in itself. You know, to get to that point in life. Uh, you know, around two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask. Oh, sorry, yeah. I was, sorry to interrupt. I was going to ask you because um, you've you've very much answered my second question around: Has your view of learning changed over time? And you had some waypoints there that um, you studied your undergraduate degree, which was in, in engineering. And um, I have uh, engineer in my life. My brother is an engineer, so I I, I can under, I can understand that need for for perfection. Um, and I. I I think the engineering profession itself, that understanding of systems, that understanding of how the bits fit together is quite uh, an interesting field of study. And a lot of uh, psychologists were one time in their careers engineers by trade. So um, it's it, interesting that that's where you started and that your progression as you matured into your uh, professional life, that 
Um, and you made some observations that we'll touch on a little later about the organization versus uh, the individual driving their learning. Um, one question, though, and I, I, I'd be silly if I didn't ask this, is was it a light bulb moment every time that you decided to upskill yourself or was it a confluence of different things that made you get there to say, yeah, I've, I've got to reskill or I've got to retool um, to to stay relevant um, as a yeah. as a as a professional, I guess. I think you're raising a very good point here around, uh, especially the word relevance. I should admit, it was actually a deep reflection after I finished my corporate career. I decided to leave the corporate life and start my own business, but I needed time to think, so I took actually three months off, and it was deep reflection of where I go from here. And uh, this deep reflection was based on what I've learned in corporate life, in corporations, with basically the organization taking ownership of the development and programs without really understanding the personal needs and the individual aspirations and what they want to achieve in their lives. And I could see leaders around me lost, actually lost. And all they are relying on to lead is the position power, which doesn't take them long. So I decided to understand what leadership is all about because if I am going to start my own business and executive coaching, I need not only to be a practitioner, which I had for 20 years of my corporate life, but I really need to understand what drives this based on evidence. So I started to study, and this is when the coaching psychology helped me. If leadership has a psychological legitimacy platform that is required, this legitimacy platform, of course, is based on the credibility of the leader. And the credibility, yes, it's built on trust, but there are two important pillars that we need to have in place. Currency and relevance. Currency and relevance. A leader without these two pillars probably won't achieve much. Many of us have met with leaders and worked with leaders who we trust. We know they are not going to cause me harm. But I don't have enough credibility for them to, to about their judgment, about their ability to drive uh, results. Uh, simply because their currency and relevance is not in place. So this is when I start to explore the issue around currency and relevance. And honestly, I thought the only solution for this is lifelong learning, because this is the way to maintain your relevance and your currency that lead to your credibility and secure le your legit legitimacy in anything you do as a leader. So, yeah, that was uh, the turning point, Eric. Around my thinking, yeah, yeah, and and it it makes sense. I've I've spoken to people in my my um, family and professional circles that that say those same things. I haven't couched them in the terms that you've just used, but that makes a lot of sense. And um, it this uh, you you brought this up before, and I, I, again, it'll meld into the next question I've got here, and it's a two parter, if I may around uh, organizations and lifelong learning. So first questions first, um, what has your experience of work taught you about an organization's commitment to lifelong learning? That That's the first question. I think I, I, in my corporate life and now being in consultancy and coaching for the last 20 years, I work with larger organizations and I see how much they spend on training and development. 
I question, of course, the efficacy and whether there is uh, some solid uh, return on investments that they are interested in. Uh, of course, they are getting something. They are getting something if they spend all this money. But I doubt that they are getting the value that they aim for. So my learning is, yes, organizations seems to allocate it in the budget as, as funding, seems to take initiatives to uh, trigger training and development programs, and uh, seems to be in the driver's seat, unfortunately. But I personally believe that the best outcomes I have seen in myself and in executives I work with, it's when the individual take full responsibility for their long life learning and for their development. This is, I can actually, I have enough evidence that this is the only way to ensure outcomes and ensure success. So that's actually my takeaway on organizations trying to take green here in terms of development versus it should be actually in the hands of the individual and the organization to support it. Now, if it serves the purpose of the organization, then that's great. If not, maybe they are not a good fit for each other. And maybe it's time to consider actually alternatives. But I think it's a dialogue. We need to have this dialogue. We cannot just keep forcing people into certain development path when they really do not reach actualization. And instead, they're just doing a job. And part of it is training, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, ag agreed. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. In, fa in fact, um, yeah, it makes my next question a little redundant. Um, is there a shared responsibility? The, what I'm hearing is that, yeah, there is some... Uh, sense of responsibility for um, the learning to either come from the individual or the organization. But I don't believe, and I, I think you might agree, but please feel free to disagree, is that if the individual doesn't take full control of their learning and understand what benefit it's going to have for them as an individual and potentially an organization, if, if the organization's funding it, that's where I think the tension comes in because i let, let's say hypothetically I'm working for you and I say, Wade, look, I want to go do a, a degree in sports medicine. And you're like, that's got nothing to do with what we do here. Yeah, but that's part of my lifelong learning. Well, it's not part of the organization's uh, responsibility to fund that learning, even though it'll be good for you. So I I, I think the win-win um, the situation out of the learning situation, if, if we're looking at it in an organization, I understand why it is, what it is but um it, it's still up to the person doing that learning to to right. assess whether or not it's going to be beneficial and that that assumes that the people um that are going to do this learning and un understand the difference between it being beneficial and it not so do they have the toolkit to make that judgment and i and here's here's maybe something controversial you could comment on if you like I think you don't get there to know the difference until you've had some life and some experience in the world of work. What, what, what's your view of that? Absolutely, absolutely. I think, uh, I think the world of work and the professional career in itself open doors uh, not only for our, uh, uh, for our uh, career uh, inspiration, but also for our cognitions to perceive things and reflect on things. So the learning experience with the reflection in the workspace, I think, is far more valuable uh, than, you know, outside work. Definitely it helps. Uh, 
and it is an important experience yes and um give, given the the tenor of the conversation you've answered my next question around who drives lifelong learning one one thing i would suggest and, and you said this before and uh your initial comments which um really resonated with me is uh your your parents and your father was a teacher my parents weren't um teachers themselves but they encouraged me to read uh they bought me this is going back when books meant something i guess they bought me an encyclopedia britannica and had that in the house and from a very young age i was reading concepts that i i didn't fully understand but i got into reading and I found myself asking the question why, and I tend to ask that question a lot. And I still ask the question why, um, you know, 50 years on into life. And I, I think if you don't have a foundational introduction to why learning is good, why there's beauty in learning and why it sets you up for success in life, that pathway for lifelong learning will be a little bit more difficult than it necessarily needed to be that that's my view do you do you have a different view way i i think i think definitely it uh personality and character has a lot to do with that so yes in my case maybe it was a case of uh, you know the parents and the way i was uh, i was raised that uh, facilitated this at the early stage but i should admit my personality and character as well uh, bring me uh, to the same point because i want to make sure that what I'm doing is not only uh, based on, uh, you know, my thinking, but actually based on some, uh, you know, ground, uh, solid ground, as in theory or knowledge that I know will give me will give me outcomes that that is sustainable, basically. So yeah, I will agree with that comment. Uh, but I see also many leaders that I work with now who may not have my same background or not reason the same way, but because of their personality and character they actually managed to get on the same path in terms of lifelong learning and developing themselves and keeping themselves up to date. And uh, I see this at all different uh, ages, actually. I, uh, I think one of, uh, one of the interesting parts when I see someone who is in late 50s or early 60s and they are still into uh, you know, formal education and they're still into, you know, getting degrees and fields that inspire them or make them, you know, uh, feel uh, more engaged in life. All of this is just signs that, yeah, it definitely comes in different forms or shapes. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's uh, for me, for, from, sorry, from my perspective, definitely that if you're not continually learning something, you've stopped living. I think if we're not learning something from our environment, from the people we're interacting with, from that conversation, you might have that random discussion that, that triggers something in you, in in a thought that um, you, you're not doing learning. And I think I think it's part of our everyday, whether we're um, in the world of work or we're with family. You're you're const constantly being challenged on something, and I don't mean in a negative way. I think um, people that can trigger thinking in you. Um, I, I have a, a great regard for the, those that ask those curly questions and you go, shit, I don't have the answer right now, but it's something I need to be thinking about. And uh, it's it leads, I think, nicely into the next question, Wade, and this is where if we can connect your experience of lifelong learning with the leadership question, 
is a lifelong learning orientation a critical component of the leadership process or not? What What's your view of that? Absolutely, absolutely. Can uh, this is this is a true? I, I think it is, and the reason behind that leadership is about the ability to influence people. So, if the ability to influence people, of course, there are many ways to influence people. Position power, of course, is there. So, leaders who have the position power, and sometimes coercive power as well, can push them to influence people. However, that's it's not sustainable, and definitely, it's not a way to. Uh, to keep followers on board. So the other one will be maybe what I mentioned earlier about the legitimacy, the psychological legitimacy. And that brings me back to the point around uh, credibility based on trust, but more importantly, based on relevance and currency. And this is when I see a very strong link between long life learning and leadership. I have not experienced and I coach hundreds of executives in Australia and around the region, Asia Pacific, and actually in Europe as well. And I have not experienced yet what I call a successful leader, which means a leader really who can influence their people uh, with less dependency on their position power and more dependency on their legitimacy I have not experienced any leader so far who failed to use this to be successful. Uh, all the leaders I work with, actually, I found them relying on their psychological legitimacy to be able to lead the business, influence the people, achieve results, grow the people who are working with them, and being able actually to reach a level of actualization themselves at the personal level. Yeah, the um, and, and and thank you for um clarifying what your view there. I, I share a similar view. I I truly believe if, if the leader's not open to learning, then they're not open to a lot of other things. And um, uh, a lot of the feedback I've had in the conversations on this particular podcast and this particular topic area, that idea of of uh, um influence through credibility and influence through uh, your, as you say, probably the two best terms I've heard it put is relevance and currency. If you don't have those things, people, their, their BS radar gets um, quite, quite attuned and go, mm, I'm not sure what's happening here. And uh, I don't know whether research has been done to prove this, but I think if you have organisations that are dysfunctional, I think a lot of it can be traced back to potentially the leaders in that organization because organizations don't go bad for no reason. And part of it is leaders that may not be doing the things that you're talking about, or sorry, not have that, that relevance and currency that's needed in a position and definitely a um, having position power only goes so far. And that that's no way, to lead, I mean, it's it's typical of some organisations that the position suddenly um, uh, gives you um, or or confer confers those skill sets that you need to be a good leader. And I don't I don't buy that for a, for a second. I don't think the um, average uh, staff member or your team member is going to be uh, too enamoured with that either. Because because um, you you look now and 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 I didn't think I'd bring this up, but we're now heading uh, to to a post 
uh, pandemic situation. And um, if you are a LinkedIn tragic, which I am, and you're reading the articles and you're seeing what people are, are talking about when it comes to post-COVID, did our leaders learn anything from the process around any of their key competencies or capabilities? Um, I don't know if the answer is a straight yes on that. Um, I could be being pessimistic, but um, your, your view, Wade? I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about politics, but I think what we have seen in the last three years now, COVID, post-COVID, and uh, what we are seeing in the world now, answer the question, actually. Those leaders who, uh, who tried hard to use the position power and sometimes coercive power uh, failed miserably, failed miserably. And we see this everywhere around us. And I really don't want to take it to uh, to politics, but I think you can name many leaders in the last three years who basically dropped from the scene because of this. You know, they definitely relied fully on their position power. And they managed to influence some people, but definitely they didn't get the majority. And people did not follow. And where they are now? In the history books. Yeah, well, we'll we'll leave that one there. Wade, as a final topic area, what advice drawing on your um, your leadership pathway and your experiences of the world of work? What advice would you give to my listeners and my uh, those watching uh, the podcast here about uh, lifelong learning? What 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 advice could you share, mate? I, I, I think I would share experience maybe more than advice. And uh, what I have learned in my life about long life learning is uh, the continuum of long life learning. We cannot, uh, yes, I have a PhD, I have uh, you know a couple of degrees uh, beside that, but that's not the only, no, only delivery channel to obtain lifelong learning. It's one of the channels, it's important channels. And I would encourage everybody to have it in their portfolio. But if you if you could if you imagine a continuum in front of you, at one side the DIY, what we do every day and what we learn from our experiences as we go by observing and reflecting, by observing and reflecting on our on our own doing, is maybe one side of the continuum. The other side of the continuum will be when you go into formal education in university to obtain degrees and qualifications. And in the middle, there is a blend of a variety of activity. I personally believe reading is a great uh, tool to maintain lifelong learning. I subscribe to all the, I put alerts on Google on topics of interest. I subscribe to both practitioner and academic uh, uh, sources when I can source knowledge. So what I mean by practitioner, uh, basically consulting firms, the big four and others who have publications. Obviously, the issue with that, your email box will be full. <laughs> and that requires another skill, which is quick screening and pick what you want to read and what you don't want to read. So you can clean your email box on a daily basis because it's very easy by the end of the week to have a thousand emails sitting there about things you read and maybe half of it you don't need to even to consider. 
So the blend between the formal education and the DIY is when we have all these varieties, whether it's reading, whether it's courses, whether it's online course, whether it's a developmental program that you want to attend uh, on a specific area that you want to develop, whether it's LinkedIn uh, course sector, I found LinkedIn courses as well, <laughs> very valuable to be honest. Uh, all of this comes together as lifelong learning. You need to see the continuum and then decide what is it that you want to achieve and what gaps you have and what would be the best channel to fit into this. Now that required time and uh, not uh, not once a year. That's in my view, at least, at least, if not once uh, a week, maybe every two to three weeks to take the time off to look at the continuum, to look at what you're trying to achieve, the gaps and how you're filling this up. And then I look at the time for it in the in, in your calendar to be able to do, to do it. So this is maybe uh, just sharing experience about how I approach lifelong learning, you know, myself, uh, to be able to stay on track and to be able to uh, progress with uh, with my uh, with myself and my own growth actually as a professional. Yeah, Wade, that's an amazing way to end the discussion. Thank you for your time, Matt. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it, That concludes the podcast for today. I'd like to thank Wade for his time. Great discussion around lifelong learning. A lot more content on the way. But if you'd like to get in touch with Wade, you can do that at wadeasme.com or if you'd like to get in touch by email, his email address is wade at wadeasme.com. Thanks again for your support. If you like the content, please drop a like or better yet, if you can help me to build the channel, please subscribe to the channel so we can keep you updated with all the latest content. Thanks again for supporting the podcast and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.